I want to begin this morning with some excerpts from an article by Brother Tom Waycaster. It's an article entitled, What Jesus Borrowed. What Jesus Borrowed. Some excerpts. In the 33 years that our Lord sojourned upon this earth, He never once demonstrated a single shred of materialistic desire. I doubt seriously that he ever scanned the Jerusalem Daily News to see whether the stock market was up or down, called his bank to see how his investments were doing, or worried as to how much inflation might be eating away at his little nest egg tucked away in some shady corner of his humble abode. On no occasion do we find that he carried with him one single farthing. When he was asked about paying tribute to Caesar, his disciples had to bring him the penny because he was penniless. Matthew 22:17-19. His only purse was the mouth of a fish that Peter caught. Matthew 17:24-27. And when they parted his garments, they did not discover any coin or notes. John 19, 23 and 4. Our Lord never owned any property, never built a house, never laid by in store, never had a passbook savings account, and never placed an ounce of importance on what one might possess in this life. When his life was finished and his course completed, the only thing he could call his own was stripped from his sinless body and gambled away at the foot of the cross. He found his rest in the homes of those who were gracious enough to provide his daily sustenance and grant him a place of repose when the day was done. Today, Fortune 500 would rank our Lord a failure. Forbes magazine would not waste paper and ink to even mention his name. And few, if any, who are enamored with this world's material things would consider his words worth their attention. This they have demonstrated by their rejection of things spiritual for the glitter of the world. But, history will attest that the greatest man that ever walked the face of this earth, if we dare call him a man, was the most contented and the most influential individual who has ever lived. Though he may have borrowed those things he needed from time to time, those who were gracious to loan him what they possessed soon learned that their investment returned mighty dividends that could not be measured in monetary value. That's the line I want you to focus on. Though he may have borrowed those things he needed from time to time, those who were gracious enough to loan him what they possessed soon learned that their investment returned mighty dividends that could not be measured in monetary value. You know, I had not given much thought to the idea, not really focused, concentrated thought to the idea, over the years that Jesus was a borrower. 
Then I got to thinking not only about that, but about how he blessed incredibly even those things he merely borrowed beyond our ability to even process. This morning, I want to take a look at some of those things that Jesus borrowed and blessed before we wrap up by contemplating how he blesses, if he blesses those things he borrows that much, how much more does he want to bless those things he bought and paid for? Consider with me this morning, opening your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Although it's not something that he himself had to borrow or be loaned for a short time, there was certainly something that his parents, his earthly parents, had to borrow, and that even as he made his way into the world. We know the story of how Joseph and Mary came up to Bethlehem at the time of the census. We know that she was with child, and, and we understand that whole story. And as we look down through Luke 2, and Luke 2, really, Doug? Luke 2, Luke 2 and verse 7, we read this. And she brought forth her firstborn son wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and behold an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around him and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly there was the... Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass which the Lord has made known to us. And it came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning. They went out and told everybody. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. Matt, is that clicker in there? This is empty. Is that in there? Now, I want you to imagine... In the minds of those shepherds, I want you to imagine how precious that manger, the baby, yes, the baby lying in the manger, but how blessed that borrowed manger was that it actually held Jesus Christ. Years down the road, did they pass along this information? Did they go ahead and tell their children and their grandchildren, like people, you know people at that time, they passed down information. Did these shepherds who had seen the angels out there, 
who had seen the glory around them and had rushed to the manger and went out and told everybody at that time years down the road did they probably tell their children and grandchildren like people did what about some of the travelers and the innkeeper himself in the days that followed you suppose the news got back to the innkeeper what had happened out there in his manger I'm guessing it did and just in case you don't think that people were interested in later knowing what had taken place in that borrowed manger, I want to show you, as Matt clicks us ahead here just a moment on the PowerPoint because I can't find the clicker, I want to show you up here exactly how far they have gone to turn Jesus' birthplace, supposed birthplace, into something just the exact opposite of what the most disinterested in materialistic things man who ever walked the planet would have wanted. This is supposedly, today, the birth site of Jesus. And these pictures don't do it justice. The silver and the gold and the marble there on the floor. And this little enclosure here is actually... Next slide inside of that with this ribbon and you can see the marble steps and this is actually next slide <laughs> in this and all of the gold and all of this this incredible stuff in this room and these steps down to it and, and where it is supposedly the birthplace of Christ and this is located next slide you can't really tell much here but it's over in the left hand corner and and these these pictures show us today that people did indeed care about where Jesus was born. But can you imagine how precious that borrowed manger in that area must have been to those shepherds? You can go to the next slide and just leave it. There we go. But what about all the things that the Christ himself did have to borrow? What about those things that were loaned to him? What incredible blessings he used them to bestow. Turn to me in your Bibles, please, to Luke 5. Luke 5. Look at verse 1. Jesus had to borrow a pulpit. He had to borrow a pulpit to preach from. Luke 5, verses 1 through 3. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. So he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Jesus borrowed a pulpit. And look at how he blessed the one who loaned it to him only for this short time in the morning. Verse 4, And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the net. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. What a blessing. Jesus borrowed his boat for a pulpit for a little time. And, and look at the blessing. Not only did he tell Peter, hey, let's go out and, and let down the nets. And Peter says, okay, your word, I'll do so. And, and they filled the boat. 
Then they called the partners to fill the other boat. What blessings Jesus bestows on those things that he borrows or that he borrowed. According to Matthew chapter 14 verses 13 through 21 as well as John 6 1 through 13 and corresponding accounts in Mark and Luke if we were to read all of those we would see where Jesus borrowed if I may use that term and blessed a little boy's five barley loaves and two small fish five loaves two fish and then he fed to the overflowing a crowd of some 5,000, 5, men plus women and children and they had a dozen baskets left over full of fragments and of the fish according to Mark 6.42. What a blessing! How are we going to feed him? Well, we've got a little boy here and he's, he's got five loaves and five barley loaves, a couple of fish. Jesus blesses them. 5,000 men, women and children, and they got leftovers. It's like fellowship dinner, right? I mean, they got leftovers. How'd you like to have Jesus at fellowship dinner? Wouldn't that be cool? And they had 12 baskets of both bread and fish. According to Mark 6, verse 42, the fish were there too, leftover. Now, the Bible does not say what I'm about to. Okay? Although the Bible doesn't say, and I therefore cannot say for sure, I do have a question I'd like for you to consider. The question is this. Have you ever thought about where the leftovers might have gone? Twelve baskets. Fish, bread, twelve baskets. You suppose they threw them away? In those days, I don't think they threw them away. No, I don't. And again, the Bible doesn't say, but you need to think about this. Where did the leftovers go? Did they go with the disciples? Well, maybe some of them did. Did they go with maybe the, the mothers with children? Possibly. I mean, they didn't throw them out. But, but here's the thing. Personally, personally, this is just me. Personally, I'm guessing that on top of all the other blessings... And all the other people have fed, I'm guessing probably that little boy might have gone home with a few more fish than he started with. You think that's possible? I'm thinking that he went home with a bit more fish than he originally had, plus a fish story they would never forget. Think about the blessing of Jesus just borrowing the boy's fish. Turn to me to Matthew 21. When Jesus borrowed something, oh, what a blessing was bestowed. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem, and they came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. Jesus had to borrow a donkey. It wasn't his. Somebody else owned it. But he borrowed it. 
All this was done, verse 4, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. The idea here is humility. It's not like a war horse. He wasn't coming to conquer in the same sense that they thought of it. He's coming on a lowly donkey, very humble. And it was prophecy. This was prophesied in the Old Testament. But he still had to borrow the donkey. Now, the disciples went, verse 6, and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed. Notice it was multitudes. This wasn't a few people. This wasn't like, you know, 20 people. This was a multitude. This is coming into town and they're laying down this stuff. And, and here comes Jesus on a borrowed donkey. And they cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was, everybody knew. I mean, this wasn't some small thing. This wasn't some tiny, the whole city knew. And they said, who is this? I'm telling you what. Jesus borrowed that donkey and fulfilled scripture, and the whole city knew what the story was. I'm telling you what. If I'm the owner of that donkey, I'm telling every hey, that's that's my donkey, Jesus. That's my donkey Jesus rode in on. But he used that that humble animal, that that he used that animal to fulfill a prophecy. And the whole city, what a blessing. Jesus, the Lord has come. The whole city knew about it. The whole city of Jerusalem knew. They knew. And they knew. Because he rode in on this donkey the way the scripture said that he would. What a blessing he bestowed with just that poor little borrowed animal. To let the whole world know, the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Turn to me in your Bibles to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. Look at verse 12. Mark 14, verse 12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Jesus didn't have a place to eat the Passover at this point. And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? They had to borrow a room. Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. They needed a room that was big enough for all of them to have the Passover. Jesus apparently needed to borrow a room because he didn't have one. And it says here, in the evening he came with the twelve. Now I want you to pause right there. And I want you to just get the picture in your mind and think about all of the once, not in a lifetime, these weren't once in a lifetime, all of these once in an eternity 
things that happened to those who were blessed enough to be there in that borrowed room that night with Jesus. Once in an eternity, they would never happen again, never happened before, they would never happen again. All of the incredible, awesome, mind-blowing things, once in eternity things that happened in that borrowed room. The night that Jesus, God in the flesh, ate the Passover with his disciples. And he came into that room that night. And none of his disciples, because they were all wondering which of them was the greatest, none of those disciples took that pan of water and washed Jesus' feet. So Jesus gets up from the table at some point that evening. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, gets down and he washes the feet of those disciples. That would God on his knees. That would never happen again. And he washed Peter's feet who would betray him. And he washed Judas' feet who would betray him. Peter would deny him. Judas would betray him. He washed the other disciples' feet who would flee from him little, just in a few hours. God in the flesh washed their feet. Think about the other blessings that night as, as they're gathered in that borrowed upper room. Think about the blessings Jesus used, that room to bestow when he instituted communion. Here we are 2,000 years later gathering around the table to break the bread and drink the fruit of the vine which represents Jesus' blood. What would it have been like to be in that borrowed upper room that night? Let me ask you a question. Is communion special to you? What if Jesus Christ himself had passed you the cup that night and said, divide this amongst yourselves? The hand that was about to be nail-pierced and he was about to bleed out on a cross just a few hours earlier and Jesus said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. What if that were Jesus that passed you the cup? Were those disciples blessed? In that borrowed upper room that night. And then Judas leaves and Jesus teaches them. Can you imagine sitting there in that borrowed upper room that night and having Jesus say, as it says in John 14, telling them, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to get you. That where I am, there you may be also. Those words falling from Jesus lips in that borrowed up. Were those in that borrowed upper room blessed that night? Did Jesus, oh, Jesus always used the borrowed to bless beyond measure. And finally, Jesus... Although again, like at the beginning of his earthly life, he wasn't directly involved in selecting it, but nonetheless, Jesus was laid in a borrowed tomb. That tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew 27, 57 through 60. 
Do you know the great thing about that barbell? Jesus only needed it for about three days. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? He only needed it for the better part of three days. Then Joseph could have it back. Listen to this statement. While the borrowed manger where he was laid as a baby when he came into the world was blessed beyond belief to hold him, the borrowed tomb where he was laid as our sacrificial lamb left this world was blessed beyond our ability to comprehend because it couldn't. The manger was blessed to hold him. The tomb was blessed because it couldn't. Are you grateful for the blessing of that tomb being empty this morning? What an incredible blessing Jesus bestowed on the whole world with a borrowed grave. Brother Waycaster made a statement in that article that we began with explaining that how those who were gracious enough to loan him what they possessed soon learned that their investment returned dividends that could not be measured. Here's what I want for you to think about. If Jesus Christ, so blessed beyond measure, such perishable earthly elements that he simply borrowed. These things he simply borrowed. If, if, if he blessed beyond measure such perishable earthly elements which he simply borrowed, brethren, how much more of a blessing is he capable of bestowing and desiring to bestow on those eternal things which are truly and fully his? How much more of a blessing does Jesus want to bestow on those things which he purchased with his own blood that belong to him, that he owns? If he was willing to do that, those blessings with just what he simply borrowed for a little bit or a short time or a few hours or a few days, and he was willing to bless the whole world through those things that he simply borrowed, how much more are those blessed? who are bought and paid for and belong solely to Him. Turn to me to Romans 5. Verse 6. For when we were still without strength... In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. There's not a one of us in this room this morning or outside this room this morning that deserves to go to heaven, right? Except for babies and those that can't process the information. But if you can process what God wants and you can understand that, that you have sinned and, and what sin is and what righteousness is and what right and wrong are, if you can process that, you don't deserve to go to heaven. 
Not a one of us does. Sometimes I think we get caught up in as well. I go to church. I've gone to church for years. And, you know, I'm kind of better than the guy that lives next door because he's a drunk and beats his wife. There's not a one of us that deserves. There's not a one of us that's good enough to go to heaven on our own. Not a one of us. We deserve God's wrath because he is a holy and righteous God. But this verse tells me that we shall be saved from the wrath of God because Jesus Christ shed his blood and died for me even though I was a sinner and a rotten person compared to the holy God. And then it says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, even beyond that, having been reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And as if that wasn't enough, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. How blessed are you? How blessed are you? Man. We get caught up in so much of life and all these things going on around us and we forget to count our blessings. And no, I didn't ask Edison to lead that song, but it was a perfect song for this morning's lesson. How blessed are you? If Jesus blessed only those things that he borrowed as much as he did, how much more so those that he's purchased with his own blood? How blessed are you? Let me tell you this, if you have not fully, truly, and totally given over every facet of your entire life, your entire soul, your entire will, your entire desire, and yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered everything to Him, I think sometimes when we repent and get baptized, maybe there's some part of our life that's like, oh, don't touch that, I'll give you all this, but eh, don't touch that, and we, and we don't surrender all of ourselves to Jesus, and when we don't surrender all of ourselves to Jesus, we can't be blessed like He wants to bless us. Did you know that? If we haven't surrendered everything, our will, our desire, our self, if we haven't just given it all to Him and laid it all on the altar, Jesus can't bless us as fully as He'd like to. He can't. He can't. Consider this. What if the innkeeper had said, speaking of not surrendering everything in every facet, what if the innkeeper had said, Okay, I can see that she's pregnant. It's pretty obvious. You can sleep out here, out back, there's no rooms left. You can sleep out here. And that's fine. You can do anything you want out there, except you cannot use my manger for a crib. Because I don't want some baby doing what babies do in the manger where I'm feeding my animals. So don't put, you know, don't put the kid in the manger. What if he had surrendered everything but the manger? Could it have been such a blessing? No. What if Peter had said... Okay, Jesus, look. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it out a little ways. You can use my boat to preach from. You can use my boat to teach from. You can, you can have lunch on my boat. That's fine. I don't care if you fall asleep on my boat. That's fine, too. You can do just about anything you want with my boat. But I'll tell you this. I ain't going back out there fishing. Use the boat for whatever you want. Fine. But I ain't going back. I fished all night. I'm the professional fisherman. You're just some preacher. You don't know the first thing about fishing. I'm telling you, I ain't going back out. Could God have blessed him the way he did? Nope. What if the lad with the five loaves and the two fishes had said, 
I am not surrendering my entire morning's work of catching these two fish to a bunch of traveling strangers. These are to feed my family. You can go catch your own fish. Could Jesus have blessed that entire crowd the way he did without, if the boy said, no, I'm not surrendering this. I'm not giving it up. I'm not turning it over to you, Jesus. Jesus can't bless that which is not turned over to him. Not in the same way that he can, that which is voluntarily surrendered to his power. What if the owner of the donkey had said to the disciples, yep, I'll tell you what, boys, you can pet it, you can walk it around the yard, you can look at its teeth, you can decide how much it's like, but you are not taking that donkey out of my sight because I don't know if I can trust you or not. Could Jesus then have used that donkey to, to bless the entire world and ride in on it the way? No. Had to found another one. What if the owner of the upper room had said, this is sort of a modern day spin, you'll have to forgive me. Yep, you can use that upper room, that's fine, but I don't want any water, wine, or food up there. I got a new carpet in. It's an area rug. <laughs> or what if Joseph of Arimathea had said, I don't mind surrendering up my new tomb for a little bit for somebody but not for some criminal that the Romans have crucified and then could come arrest me for hiding. That ain't going to happen. Without full and total surrender, none of those things that Jesus borrowed would have been able to have been either so blessed or such an incredible blessing to others. If we would truly surrender ourselves totally up to him who has no desire. Jesus doesn't want to borrow you. Newsflash, Jesus doesn't want to bother you. borrow you. Jesus paid for you with his own blood. You belong to him. If you've accepted his gift and you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you've repented of your sins, Jesus owns you. He didn't just want to borrow you. You're too precious for him just to borrow. He wants you to be his. He wants you in his father's house for all eternity. He doesn't just want to borrow you for a little time. He wants you with him forever. Isn't God awesome? But if you have not truly surrendered every bit of yourself totally up to him who has purchased you, and he can't bless you the way he wants to. Final passage of the morning. Turn to Romans 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's become his counselor? Who's first given to him that it should be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech, Paul said, I beg you, therefore, because of what he's just said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, because he died on that cross for you, because of everything God's done for you, because he had that plan in place before the foundation of the world to save you, because of God's grace and his mercy, for that reason, you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It is only reasonable after all that God has done for you that you give yourself totally and fully to Him. An animal on the Old Testament altar didn't get to get up there and say, okay now boys, 
Tell you how this is going to work. You know, you can have, you know, a little bit of the hair off my, my ear here and you can kind of shear me and get some of the, you know, the wool or whatever off, you know. That's okay. But you be careful where you put the knife. Because there's certain parts of me you ain't getting. Sacrifice couldn't say that. The sacrifice was for the entire thing. Paul says, because of all that God has done for you, because of the way he wants to bless you, because of the way he has blessed you and he wants to bless you, give him everything. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. How do you do that? Partly by verse 2, not being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there are other ways. Once our mind is renewed, we must live in accordance with what we've learned. Question I have as we close this morning to really think about. God wants to bless you so much, and He has. But He cannot bless you as fully as He'd like until and unless you have surrendered everything to Him. Surrendering everything to Him is more than simply getting into a tub of water. Surrendering everything to Him is repenting. It's changing the way I think. It's saying, you know what? I've made a mess of things and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to give my total will, my desires, my thoughts, my actions, my mind. God is going to get it all. And it's rising up out of putting that old man of sin to death. It's rising up to walk in a new life. Sometimes even after we rise to walk in newness of life, maybe there's some area of your life you haven't given to God. You want to be blessed totally as much as God can? Give Him everything. If you this morning have either not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or as you think about it, maybe there's something that you haven't surrendered to God. And you'd like to be blessed in that area. If you have either of those needs, would you come to the front as we stand and sing?